Welcome to the podcast of First Baptist Church of Robbinsville. Thank you for joining us. We trust that the teaching of God's Word will speak to you. Thank you, worship team, for uh, letting us hear God's heart, for inviting us to Him. And uh, as we sing those songs, we think about this idea of Jesus proclaiming His name from the hilltops and the mountains. That is our greatest desire as a church, to make much of the name of Jesus. So uh, I hope and pray that that's your desire here today, is to learn more about Him and to glorify Him even in our time together this morning. So I invite you to go ahead and open up your Bibles to Proverbs chapter 9 uh, if you want to follow along. And your copy of God's Word, we will have it on the screen if, if that's easier for you. Um, if you're just now joining us, over the last couple weeks in Proverbs, we've been looking at this contrast between lady folly and lady wisdom. And so Proverbs chapter 8 and Proverbs chapter 9 is this long speech by this figure called Lady Wisdom. And she's, she's trying to invite people to follow her. Now, Lady Wisdom is not a real person. She's kind of this personification of God's wisdom. So if God was to take his wisdom and to put it into a person, this is what that individual would look like, is kind of what this figure is showing us. And Lady Folly also represents someone. She represents the wisdom of the world or God's great enemy, Satan. And so Satan's wisdom is kind of personified in this figure called Lady Folly. And so here, here you have this kind of back and forth contest where we as people are being torn between these two. Who do I want to follow with my life? Whose wisdom do I actually want to submit myself to and pursue with everything that's within me? And so we've seen this constant comparison of how different these two figures really are. So we get to Proverbs chapter 9. We're going to finish up this speech by Lady Wisdom, and she's going to offer a little bit more of a comparison. Um, but there's also some interesting parts about this chapter. Have you ever heard the phrase, ignorance is bliss? Right? What, what that's saying is what you don't know doesn't hurt you. Now, the first thing that came to my mind, you know, I'm a dad of young kids, and we've, we've finally got out of the diaper phase, but we've been in there for years. You know, there's this thing called ignorance is bliss when it comes to diapering children. Because until you know there's a problem going on, you don't have to deal with it. But once somebody comes up and is like, you need to take care of that, at that very moment, you have this choice, right? I'm no longer complete ignorance. I know that there's something that needs to be taken care of, but do I really want to do it? Right? So ignorance is bliss plays out in a lot of ways in our lives. There's a lot of times in life where we just kind of prefer to not know something. Because when we don't know it, we're not accountable for it. We don't have to take any action about it. But once we learn about it, all of a sudden now we are forced with this decision. So as Lady Wisdom comes to the end of her speech, she's basically going to make that argument. You no longer can plead ignorance about this topic. You no longer can say, you know, I didn't really know there was a difference between God's wisdom and the world's wisdom. I just was kind of figuring out life day by day. I didn't really know I had to be like intentional with my choices. Lady Wisdom says, I have made you aware. You now know, you see the comparison, and now is the time for you to choose. And so this message this morning is really a focus on every single one of us as individuals. You see, the wisdom of grandma, the wisdom of your father doesn't just automatically come to you. Every single one of us have to choose and decide for ourselves what we are going to do with this topic of God's wisdom. And so the plea that we're going to see today from Lady Wisdom is once again, choose me. 
Choose to follow wisdom with your life because folly has nothing good to offer you. But the real heart of today's message is this time of self-evaluation for each and every one of us to say, whose wisdom am I really following with my life? So let me go ahead and pray and ask God's guidance over our time together, and then we'll start. Father, it's an amazing reality that the way that you chose to proclaim the name of Jesus was through a cross on a hill. Of all the ways you could make your love and glory known, you chose to do it through the sacrifice of your son. Father, that is a wisdom that we don't understand that seems so foreign to us, but that is your wisdom. Father, I pray today that our hearts would be grasped by your grace in the way that your grace invites us to follow your wisdom. Father, I pray that this would be a message that we all take seriously, that we would take time to evaluate our own hearts, that the Spirit would be free to show us the areas where we are following folly. Father, may we find freedom from those things today. May we pursue you with all that we are as individuals and as a church. In your name we pray. Amen. So Proverbs 9, we continue to see this comparison and contrast. And the, the, kind of the metaphor we see today is this idea of two houses. And within those houses, there's two feasts, two celebrations that are taking place. And so the first thing we're going to look at is the invitation and the feast of Lady Wisdom. So verse 1 and 2 says this, Wisdom has built her house. She has hewn out her seven pillars. She has slaughtered her meat. She has mixed her wine, and she has furnished her table. Now, if you just kind of step back and you just look a little bit at what wisdom's been up to, what we see in these two verses is wisdom has been very active. Do you see all this? Look at all the things she has done. She's built a home. She's hewn out pillars. She's slaughtered her meat. She's mixed her wine. She's furnished her table. Wisdom is very proactive. And so wisdom is looking and is thinking about her guests every step of the way. Before she even builds her house, wisdom already has this idea in mind that says, there's coming a day where I'm going to invite people into my home. How do I need to prepare for that moment? And so she builds a home. She creates this place where people are welcome to come, where everybody can fit, where everybody has a place. She's hewn out her seven pillars, all right? So she's made a home that's stable and secure. She's been intentional to, to have this be a place that is safe, that's not going to be rocked by the storms of life, but this is a place that is going to be always found, founded on something that's solid and secure, she slaughtered her meat. You see, so she's, she's getting ready for this feast. Long before this moment of invitation comes, she's out there. She's working. She's doing the work that maybe none of us would really want to do, right? I don't know about you all. I love just getting to go to the grocery store and just buy some meat that's already done. I really enjoy getting to skip all of the stuff that happened between the cow mooing in the field and what I can just grab at the store. But wisdom has thought ahead. She's planned ahead. She's gone out. And she's done kind of the dirty work that nobody else really wants to do. She's mixed her wine. This means she's taken the wine and she's added spices to it. So she's, in, she's taken on an extra expense for herself because she wants to make this wine as good as it possibly can be. Now, this was kind of a metaphor or something that they would often do in times of celebration. In these really special occasions, you would put the extra money into mixing your wine so that everybody who came to your festival would have the best of the best. And she's also furnished her table. So she thought ahead and she said, what is every individual who walks in here, what, what are they going to see? What are they going to feel? 
I don't know about y'all, do you have that one relative who, who always loves to host Thanksgiving or Christmas? And the moment you walk in the door, it's just like, this beautiful palace, right? There's candles and, and there's fine china and there's table mats and there's all these different forks that you don't know which one you're supposed to use. Everything's fancy and ornate. And now you may be really uncomfortable in that kind of an environment because you're more of a paper plate kind of person. But what you do know and what you can't argue is that this person has been intentional in preparing for me. They've set a place for me. There's a spot that's been created and, and, and with intentionality. They've stood there and they put these things out for me. So what do we learn about this topic of wisdom? Wisdom does the work and invites you to enjoy the blessing. You see, the people who were invited in, they didn't have to do any of this work. They didn't have to plan ahead. They didn't have to prepare anything. They didn't have to bring anything. They simply showed up and they got to experience all the joy of this festival. Now, for those of you who have been involved in wedding planning, uh, I don't really know what your experience was like, especially maybe for the guys in the room. Now, wedding planning for a groom is typically very different than wedding planning for a bride, right? The bride has to think through every single detail. Where are we going to have it? What time are we going to have it? What are we going to wear? What are we going to decorate with? What kind of flowers should we have? What are we going to eat for dinner? Who's going to, what order are we going to walk down in? Right, So when I got married, Jess and her mom and some of her family, they put countless hours into planning out all of these details. And you know what I had to do? For the most part, I had to show up. I had one job, and that was to get my suit. And you know what happened? I opened my suit the morning of my wedding and realized the people who were supposed to hem it hadn't hemmed it. So here I am with a suit that's not ready. Right, The one job I really had, I didn't even do that well. But the idea is, as the groom, I didn't have to prepare for that day. I simply showed up, and I got to experience all the blessings of what that day entailed. And as we think of Lady Wisdom, we see here Lady Wisdom does this very thing. Now, I want you to step back for a minute and remember, who is Lady Wisdom personifying? Lady Wisdom is personifying God. So in the very same way... We see that every step of the way, every moment of our lives, every page of Scripture, God has acted in His grace. He's done all the work. He's laid all the foundation. He's made all the preparations, and He's simply saying, come. Come and enjoy the blessing that I have for you. You don't have to prepare yourself first. You don't have to bring anything to the table. You simply have to show up and enjoy the blessing of what I have prepared. There is nothing that any of us could ever do to earn God's favor. And yet God has made all of the provisions for us. So when you look at this house of Lady Wisdom, she's prepared all of these things. And who is she going to invite in? She's not inviting in the people who are already wise. She's inviting in those who are simple-minded and really can't figure out life. In the very same way, God and His grace has prepared a way of redemption for us and a way for us to experience abundant life. And he's not saying, I'm only going to invite in those who are prepared and those who are ready and those who are worthy. He says, no, I'm going to invite in those who are my enemies. Those who have transgressed against me, those who have broken my heart, those who have sinned against me, I will invite them in and give them all the blessings that they could ever, could ever even imagine. You see, we were lost and hopeless in our state of sin. And yet God in His grace says, I'm going to prepare a way for every individual. 
I'm going to send my only son who I love. He's going to live a perfect life on this world. He's going to show the world what it means to walk in wisdom and in perfect fellowship with the Father. And at the end of the day, though, he's not going to get to experience the blessing of a life of wisdom. He's going to experience the death and the pain of a cross. God takes the punishment of our foolishness so that we could experience all the blessing that he has for us. And so he says, come, take my invitation. Take what, what I want you to have. You do Nothing you bring to the table. I have done all the work to prepare it. Now, how does she get this message out into the world? Verse 3 says, she has sent out her maidens, and she cries out from the highest places of the city. Now, this is kind of a tough verse to translate, and so different versions will, will kind of approach this a different way. But the, the heart of this idea, what does it mean that she sent out her maidens? The message is that she has sent out those who work for her into the field to speak on her behalf. Do you see this? Lady Wisdom is saying, I can't reach every corner of the city. So I'm, all of you who understand my wisdom, go out into the city and tell these people the message that I have for them. Go tell everyone out there that I have done all the preparations and they are invited to come and enjoy the blessings of my feast. Now step back again. Who is Lady Wisdom personifying? God. How does God's wisdom work? He gives his wisdom to people and he says, this wisdom isn't just for you. When you become wise, now you become a teacher. Take the wisdom that I have given to you and go out into the city. Go out into every mountain and every hill and tell everyone who's out there that God has done all the work to make possible a life of wisdom for them. And so when we just choose to grow in wisdom and just enjoy that for ourselves, we are missing out on a significant part of what God's wisdom is and how God's wisdom works. God's wisdom is not just for us, it's given for us to share and to invite others, not to ourselves, but to Him. And so they're speaking on her behalf. Now, I want you to notice the next verse is, what does her invitation sound like? Whoever is simple, let him turn in here. As for him who lacks understanding, she says to him, come, eat of my bread, drink of, my, of the wine I have mixed, forsake foolishness and live, and go in the way of understanding." So specifically, she's inviting those who are simple. If you remember way back to early on in Proverbs, we see there's different words for different levels of fools. The simple is kind of the one who's on the fence with life, right? This is kind of the one who's just ignorant. They just don't really know. They don't really know that life, that the decisions I make are really going to drastically impact my world and the world of those around me. They don't really know that there's these two competing, drastically different wisdoms that are pulling me and, and wanting me to follow after them. These are kind of people who are just kind of naive in life and just kind of stumbling around and just figure it out as they go. So wisdom is saying, that's who I want. Those people who just really can't figure out life, who really don't know what they want, they really can't decide it for themselves, they're kind of back and forth and back and forth, go out and invite those people. But she does so with a warning. Do you see verse 6? She calls these simple people to her, but she says, what I want you to do is to forsake your foolishness and live. And go from here in the way of understanding. So when wisdom invites, she also tells them that there's going to be a cost if you actually want to pursue this. Wisdom says you're invited to come as you are, but not to stay as you are. 
You're welcome to come in and enjoy of my feast in your foolishness, but my desire is not for you to be content and comfortable in your foolishness. I want you to forsake that foolishness and live in the way of understanding. Now, this is really so often when people misunderstand grace, it's this concept right here. When we think of God's grace, it says God has done all the work of provision. He's freely inviting everyone in. You may come and enjoy of the feast, but I want you to change. From this moment forward, I want you to forsake your foolishness, and I want you to walk in wisdom. You see, this is the calling of discipleship. You may come and you may freely eat, but I do not want you to stay in your ignorance forever. Trusting in God for salvation is a wonderful thing, and it's the beginning of wisdom, but it's not the place where we're supposed to be content and just to stay. Instead, God is calling us, and wisdom is calling us, forsake your foolishness and live. Experience all the abundance of life and go forward from here, from this day forward, move forward in this path, in this way of understanding. So God freely invites, but he wants us to move on from our foolishness, not to be content with the foolishness that we so often are comfortable with. And I want you to contrast this at the end of this chapter with Lady Folly. Look at what Lady Folly has to say. A foolish woman is clamorous. She is simple and knows nothing. That's Lady Wisdom's observation of her, pretty, pretty straightforward. For she sits at the door of her house on a seat by the highest places of the city to call on those who pass by who go straight in their way. Now, when we look at this invitation, it's very different from that of Lady Wisdom. Lady Wisdom was very active. She was preparing. She was making preparations. And we see Lady Folly. What is she doing? She's talking a lot, but she's not actually doing anything. She has a lot to say. She makes a lot of noise, but all the while, she's just sitting there. She's making no preparation. She's not actually thinking about her guests who are coming. She's simply just seeing if she can catch anybody to come her way. Very, very different. Now, her invitation sounds very genuine, but it really shows she doesn't care about her guests. Have you ever had this really super awkward experience of somebody like inviting you over for dinner and then you show up at their house and you could tell they totally forgot you were coming, right? Like you could just see like you knock on the door and they're like, hi, so great to have you. And they turn around and the house is a mess. They have nothing to eat. They don't like, you know, they got their pajamas on. They were not ready for you. Now, in that moment, what's probably going through your mind? This is really awkward. I can obviously tell you forgot I was coming. You made no preparations for me. Now, what is that? How, how would you feel in that moment about the relationship that you have and that person's care for you? Now, we get it. Everybody forgets. Maybe it was a totally innocent thing. But in that moment, what we're probably feeling is like, this person really made no preparation for me. They really didn't care that I was coming over. They actually forgot they even invited me, and now this is just really weird, and I don't even think they actually want me to be here. That's the invitation of Lady Wisdom. Come on, I want you to be here. It's going to be a great time. I've not actually done anything to help prepare for a good time for you. I have nothing really to offer you. And the invitation goes on from here. Look at what she says. Look at the invitation she offers. Whoever is simple, let him turn in here. 
And as for him who lacks understanding, she says to him, stolen water is sweet and bread eaten in secret is pleasant. But he does not know that the dead are there and that her guests are in the depths of hell. Now, this invitation from Lady Folly, I don't know if it jumps out to you immediately, but this is absolutely terrifying. And let me tell you why. This is terrifying not only because you see the outcome for all those who listen to her. They're going to experience hell on earth is what this is saying. They're going to experience all the brokenness that comes with a life of folly. But what makes this invitation even more terrifying is that it sounds so similar to the invitation of wisdom. Wisdom says, you simple people, come in here, I will give you a feast. Folly says, you simple people, come in here, we too can enjoy a feast. Now, if we step back and think about what this means, this is really scary because in life, it's not always easy to tell, is this an invitation of wisdom or is this actually an invitation of folly? Because folly wants us to embrace her. You see, if you remember, Lady Folly is personifying Satan. Satan's greatest desire is to watch us destroy our lives. He wants to see us follow his way so that we reject God's way and we do everything that leads to brokenness. And so how does he go about getting us to follow his way? Well, if you just said, hey, come over here, I'll destroy you, that's not very appealing. And so instead, he presents his wisdom, understanding in a way that actually sounds like wisdom. This is scary because we think about how easily we can be deceived. We think about how easily people we love can be manipulated. We think about how easily our own hearts can miss the message and we start to follow a path of foolishness. So Lady Folly also offers this meal, but do you notice how different it is? Instead of offering this meat that she has prepared, this wine that she has mixed, and this bread that she has baked, she says, stolen water is sweet and bread eaten in secret is pleasant. What does Lady Folly have to offer? She actually has nothing to offer of what she created. She can only offer that which is forbidden, that which is off limits, That's what, that, would, that thing that you were never supposed to have any access to. How many of you have seen this sign before? the wet paint sign, right? When you're walking down a hallway, you have zero desire to touch the wall until you see that sign. And when you see that sign, something just, some neurons in your brain just trigger and you just can't help but wonder, is the paint dry yet? Is it actually still wet or have they forgotten that sign? Right? There's no reason that we would desire to touch that wall, except until you see that sign, then everything within you wants to do it, and you're having to restrain yourself. There's something really strange about human nature that we love that which is forbidden. If something is accepted, it's really not all that appealing. But once it's forbidden, all of a sudden it has this mystery. It has this intrigue. It has this pull that's just different, right? If you think about the general idea, why do girls like the bad boys? Why do they like that guy they would never want to introduce to mama? Because there's something mysterious and intriguing about this boy who I know should be off limits. If we just think logically, there's nothing about that individual that draws us to himself. But, but this idea of him being forbidden kind of makes it appealing. And so when we think of folly, she has nothing to offer of goodness. She only can offer 
that which is deceptive. So think of this idea. Folly can only offer a deceptive imitation of what is good. Folly wants to make you think what she's offering you is actually good, but every step of the way, what she's actually offering you is this very deceptive imitation. Now, what do I mean by that? Think back to Satan's interaction with Eve in the garden. Do you remember what God said when he created Adam and Eve in his image, and he says, this is very good. I have created mankind with the ability to image God. I've created mankind with the ability to reflect God's goodness to the world. He created us with minds and with with skills and with all of the ability to do things that would point people back to him. We can be his image bearers, and he says that's a very good thing. And yet Satan comes along, and he says to Eve, if you ignore what God said, if you're just willing to kind of go a little bit different direction, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God. See, that wasn't an invitation that says, if you do what I say, I can absolutely destroy your life and the life of every human after you and all of creation. It was a lie that said, you can be like God. You no longer just have to be an image bearer, you can be like Him. Now, if you put yourselves in Eve's position, this is a very enticing offer. But it's not good. So this is how Lady Folly works. She takes what is good and she twists it and she offers us something that will actually destroy us because she has not done anything in her own to create anything of value or goodness for us. Now, another thing we do not see in the invitation of Lady Wisdom or Lady Folly is any calling for us to change. You notice that? Lady Folly says, come as you are and stay as you are. If you follow me, you don't have to do hard things. You can just think what you want. You can do whatever you want. There's no calling for you to have to change. Change is hard. But if you come my way, you don't have to change. So Lady Folly gives us these ideas of like, it's just how you are. There's nothing you can do about that. It's really not that big of a deal. Whereas Lady Wisdom says, I want you to follow me, but it's going to be hard. It's going to require you to leave foolishness behind. But Lady Folly says, you don't have to leave it behind. Just bring it with you. Two very different invitations. I want you to step back for a minute and look at Proverbs 9. And we've talked about this idea before, but when we get to Hebrew poetry... The way we really find out the heart of the message is kind of different than how we do it in English, right? In English, typically our poems rhyme and and we find all the meaning in these individual words. Hebrew poetry always encourages us to kind of step back because Hebrew poetry really highlights or emphasizes the critical parts by how it's structured, how lines fit together, how different parts fit together. And so if you're looking at Hebrews or Proverbs chapter 9, you see this first part about wisdom, over here and all that she offers. And at the end of it, you see this idea of folly and all that she offers. In the middle, we have this thing that's unique. And it's this point in the middle that Hebrews, or keep saying it, that Proverbs 9 wants us to focus our attention on. Lady Wisdom is saying, look, I'm done comparing myself. 
I've made every illustration that I can think of to show you why you should follow me, why you should project folly, but now it comes to this middle point right here. The moment of decision for all of us in verses 7 through 12. So look at how verse 7 begins. He who corrects a scoffer gets shame for himself, and he who rebukes a wicked man only harms himself. Do not correct a scoffer lest he hate you. Now, if you, again, if you don't understand Hebrew poetry in the way that it's pointing us to this, you're like, what? This, what does this have to do with a house and a feast? And what is this, how does this fit anywhere? This is critical because it's saying, look, this is how you're going to decide between these two things that are on the outside of us right here. And so the first point it brings up, it introduces us to this character called the scoffer. Now, your Bible may call him the scorner or the mocker. Now, this is a very different individual than that simple-minded man who just can't figure out life. The scorner or the mocker is one who says, I have figured out life, I know what I'm doing, and nobody better question me or challenge me to think otherwise. This is the one who says, I have the answer for everybody else, but nobody has anything of value to offer to me. I get to speak, you get to listen. This is a dangerous place to be. But it also tells us that those who reject wisdom and instruction, this scoffer, not only do they hurt themselves, they always hurt those around you. Because you see, when the scoffer hears a warning, not only do they reject it, they turn it back on the other person. So let me give you some examples of what this actually looks like in our day-to-day language and things that we often say. You ever had somebody, you know, you were doing something that was kind of on the edge and somebody's like, I don't know if that's a good idea. I don't know that you should put a ladder on a ladder on that board on top of that, right? I'm just not sure that that's really a great idea. Have you ever responded? What's wrong, you sissy? You got to live a little. I'm not listening to you. I know what I'm doing. I've done this before. You're the one that's too scared to come up here. You see what just happened? There was a real moment of wisdom being poured out. The scoffer not only rejects that, they also turn it back as an attack on the other person. Or maybe you've heard it said in a way like this. Hey, you've never actually shown me how to do that thing you're asking me to do. Can you teach me how to do that? Do you not know anything? You really can't figure this out for yourself? Why do I have to stop what I'm doing to show you this? How many of us have been hurt by those kind of statements in our lives? Here's this moment where this person is being humble and saying, I would love to help. I don't know what to do. And instead of seeing that as an opportunity to say, hey, I'm being instructed right here that I've never taught this person well. Instead, I reject that invitation to teach and I turn it back on them as a way to destroy that individual. Or maybe somebody you deeply love and who deeply loves you says, you know what, I'm really concerned about what I just heard you say to your kids or to your wife. I'm really concerned about your reactions to them. I'm really concerned with your harshness towards them. And your response in that moment is, you've seen your kids? You've got enough problems of yourself to worry about. You need to stay out of my business and focus on yourself. The response of the scorner. So how do I know if I'm starting to act and live out as a scorner in my life? Do I get angry when someone corrects me? 
Or do I slow down and with patience and discernment listen to their rebukes? Do I immediately have an excuse for anything that somebody brings to my mind? And do I dismiss what they have to say? Do I shift the focus back on them and their failures? When your wife comes to you and says, hey, I've got this concern, and you're like, it's about time, because I've got a lot of stuff I've been thinking about you I need to say. The response of the scorner. Or maybe there's areas of your life that are just really off limits to the world. And maybe that's kept you from actually getting plugged into relationships here. Maybe, maybe the idea of life groups is really terrifying to you because they may ask you questions you really don't want to talk about. Maybe as soon as somebody started getting close to you, you felt yourself backing up because this is just not a relationship that you're comfortable with. All of these are indicators that we are starting to act as this scoffer. It's a very dangerous position to be. I do want to point out, maybe if you have more of a passive personality, this maybe is like your favorite verse. Oh, good, I don't have to correct that person. Whew. That's not really what this is about. Now, this is telling us, hey, be wise with who we choose to offer instruction and correction to. If somebody is clearly rejecting wisdom, they're saying, I don't want to change. I don't want to hear you on this. It doesn't actually do good to continue to force that on them. It is telling us that. But this isn't saying that when we're sitting there and we realize a problem that our brother and sister is having is like, well, they, they probably would get mad at me if I say that, so I'm just not going to do it because I don't want to do that. This is not an excuse to not have hard conversations. But this is a plea and this is a warning to say, hey, having hard conversations, just be prepared that they may react in a way that's very hurtful to you. But that doesn't mean you run from what is hard. Because love is what's going to do what's in the best interest of that other person. And love is going to correct and instruct even when it's difficult. Now look how different it is when you rebuke a wise man, verse, the end of verse 8 and 9. Rebuke a wise man and he will love you. Give instruction to a wise man and he will be wiser. Teach a just man and he will increase in learning. Do you see how weird wise people are? You correct them and instruct them and you say something to them that is hard and they say, thank you. That means a lot that you love me enough to tell me what I really didn't want to hear. That means so much to me that you are willing to risk our relationship and make our relationship awkward by telling me something that nobody else had the courage to tell me. The wise person is going to look at that individual with love and gratitude because they understand if I want to continue to grow in wisdom, it only happens when I allow others to point out the blindnesses in my own life. And it also tells us that we never reach a point where we no longer need instruction and no longer need one another. Because even when you're wise, what do you need? Instruction and correction. If we reach a point in our life where I finally have arrived at wisdom and nobody else has anything to offer me, we are no longer walking in the path of wisdom. And then our center point of this chapter comes to another idea that we're familiar with. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. For by me your days will be multiplied, and the years of your life will be added to you. Now, this idea, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, has come up numerous times in these first nine chapters of Proverbs. It's going to continue to come up in Proverbs. This is a really important idea for us to understand. And, and again, maybe we look at this and say, I don't really understand how this fits. How does this fit within the context of homes? How does this fit within the context of this scornful person? 
Well, this is actually the heart of the scornful person. You see, the one who acts scornfully, they, have, they are acting without fear of the Lord. Fear of the Lord means recognizing this really important theological principle. You ready for it? God is God and you are not. If we summarize the fear of the Lord, maybe it's that simple. God who created everything, he gets to be God. You are a creation, which is very different than the creator. You are not God. And this has a lot of ramifications. This means since he is God, he gets to determine what is right and wrong. Since he is God, he gets to be the one in control. Since I am not God, I get to submit. I get to kill my way to follow his way. That's walking in the fear of the Lord. Not a fear that pushes us away in terror of this God who created, but it's this understanding and recognition of who he is that that while we take it very seriously, it also draws us in because it gives us comfort. The one who is scornful says, I don't have to listen to any of you because none of you have anything to offer me, and that includes God. At the heart of the scornful person is this attitude that says, I am God of my life and I will do as I please. Now, this is not talking to people who are out there. This is talking to us. All of us can have these moments in our lives where we act this way. Where we say, I'm going to be God in this area of my life. And now we get to this final verse. That's a really scary in a just verse that causes us to stop. If you are wise, you are wise for yourself. If you scoff, you will bear it alone. Now, we've talked a lot throughout Proverbs that my choice of wisdom or foolishness impacts everyone around me, and that is true. This verse is not arguing against that. What this verse is saying is that you, only you, not the people next to you, not your mom and dad, not your grandparents, not your children, not your friends, you are going to make the choice if you're going to follow wisdom or if you're going to follow the path of the fool. See, you may have the best parents in the world. Parents, you may be the wisest parents in this room and your children could still live and walk as fools. That doesn't mean you have failed. That's the reality of the freedom that we have as people. But you know what's also very encouraging about this? That you may be surrounded by a company of fools and you can choose to be wise. Your home may be the most chaotic environment of anyone who's in this room. Your parents may be the worst parents of anyone that you've ever talked to. You can still be a man or woman of wisdom. This is so important for every boy and girl, every teenager, every adult, every grandparent to hear. You yourself are accountable for the decisions that you make when it comes to the choice to reject or accept wisdom. Your parents may long for you to trust the gospel message, but you alone can make that choice for yourself. 
Your friends may long for you to walk in wisdom and not destroy your life like you're doing, but they can't force you. So here, as Lady Wisdom closes her speech, she said, I've done everything I can. You're no longer longer ignorant of this choice. If you have heard this message, you now bear the responsibility of what you're going to do with it. We can no longer plead ignorance, and God, I didn't know. Wisdom says, you know. You know the choice that lies before you. You know the choice to accept the free gift of salvation or to reject it. You know the choice and the consequence to follow wisdom or to follow the path of the fool. This is our greatest desire is that we would make wise choices when it comes to this. That all of us as individuals would stop and look at our own hearts and say, where are the areas that I am walking like a fool. So throughout these chapters, we've learned the benefits of wisdom. The benefits are good. We've learned that wisdom is founded in the creation of God in this universe. We've learned that wisdom is this gracious offering that has done all the hard work in preparation for us. But we still have to decide what we are going to do with all this information. So we have a choice to make. You have a choice to make. Will you accept God's gracious provision in all areas of your life? Or will you continue to live as the God of your own world? So we pray that you would take this seriously. And that whatever you find when you look into your heart and you allow God to reveal this to you, that you would be bold enough to share that with a friend. Risk it. Open yourself up to a relationship that says, you know what? This is an area I've really struggled with. This is an area I'm not yet ready to give to the Lord. And watch what God will do when you are brave enough to bring those dark things to the light. God can bring you freedom from your folly, and he can allow you to experience the joys of walking in wisdom. Are you ready to accept God's gracious provision for the good things of your life? Let's pray. Father, in this quiet moment, I pray that each of us would not be distracted by what others need to hear or by what we have to do later on, but that, God, in these moments that your Spirit would speak to us, that we would be convicted of the ways that we live as the scoffer, that, God, if there's one here who's not yet accepted your gracious invitation to salvation through the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, that, Father, that this would be the day that they recognize you are God and there's nothing I can do to get right with you except through faith in your Son. Father, for those of us who have made the decision to, follow, to, to, to accept salvation, but we are wrestling with the path of folly or the path of wisdom, God, show us, Lord, where we are rejecting you. Give us the courage to deal with those things. Give us the faith to trust that you can bring us freedom in those areas. Those areas of bondage, God, you can break us free. You have already made provision for our freedom and our abundance, God. May we trust you. May we be bold to open ourselves up to relationships. We thank you for this church family. We thank you for the 
the godly men and women you have brought into this fellowship, the people that we can lo- that will love us well when we are honest with them. May you bring healing to the broken, Father. In your name we pray. Amen. Thank you for joining us. We hope that you were encouraged by the teaching of God's Word. If you have questions or would like more information about our church, you can find us at www.robbinsvillefbc.org or call the office at 828-479-3423. God bless you and have a great day.